Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundromat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. I thought I was grass dance. Thank you for jumping on a call. You want to take a moment and sort of introduce yourself for listener's sake? Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Luis Alonso. I'm, uh, I've been a... I guess a technical artist, uh, 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 all kinds of artists, like uh, been an animator, a modeler, effects artist, all kinds of things for about uh, 20 years in the AAA business, uh, uh, AAA video game industry. Uh, I started in uh, in television and then uh, I was very fortunate to get to work with some of the guys from uh, uh, from the old reboot series. I love that. Yeah, it was great. It was It was an interesting time. I got to learn a lot. And uh, I really look up to those guys even today. Um, and then from there, uh, I had an opportunity to, to, to jump into video games. But even just getting there was already a big, a big thing because when I started, I was an accountant. Oh. And uh, yeah, it was uh, not really well looked upon in my family to, to be an artist or anything related to that. Yeah. Uh, so I had to do other things. And then, but the thing is, though, I, I kept these two tracks throughout my whole life. So I had the schoolwork and all that stuff. And uh, then I was doing all of this on the side. And this is where my my, my true passion uh, was really uh, where, where it was. And uh, I ended up uh, in a very interesting scenario where I had opportunities to go into the, uh, into the business world or into uh, television and movies and stuff like that. So I decided to go into, into movies, give it a shot. Yeah. So, so you kind of started in, a much more traditional career to kind of appease the family a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't a lot of, uh, the, the whole artist, uh, thing was not really an option in the family. It, it took some doing, but eventually I think, uh, the family understood that, uh, I made the better call. I mean, I had a lot more passion for what I was doing in, in art related things and they realized that yes, I can make a living as an artist. That was, that was the thing. It's like, it's cause of also, uh, they, they, they wanted me to make sure I was, financially uh uh like I, I could i could take care of myself uh, mm. for for various reasons one of them uh being that i was i have a physical disability so they uh, uh they wanted to make sure that i was uh making enough money to take care of myself in a job that didn't require uh any any physical work understood and and that always comes from a place of compassion usually but younger listeners may be kind of surprised by that because i do think we've had a little bit of a shift in sort of openness towards more creative careers. I mean, you'll have to correct me if you don't think that's true, but it seems like, especially stuff with games, because now we are more aware of like the value of coding and technical software skills and stuff. I think we're probably a similar age. And back in my time, my whole family was like, what are you even thinking? Uh, Even when I went to tech school where I could just learn like general software and stuff, they're like, can't people take care of their own computers? Why would they need you? Yeah. Yeah. The things have changed over the years. I have to agree, but I still think that that families to some extent, depending on the family, there's, there's always this family pressure to, to do a certain type of job that they perceive is really uh, is a good type of job. And I think that kind of mentality still exists in some, on some level or another. It's just, that I think we've started to accept that there are, there's more to art than just 
uh, you know, uh, jobs that, that, that can barely make uh, ends meet. So there's that, that kind of perception has changed. And now artists are being seen as more of a stable type of job than it used to be. Yeah. So how does one get in with the team behind Reboot? Uh, so funny enough, at that point in time, I had created um, a, pretty, a pretty big demo. And uh, the demo um, was all, you know, like the stuff that I'd learned on my own. So I, I was self-taught, but it was, it was years of self-taught while yeah. I was going to, to uh, basically uh, com- uh, commerce classes and, and accounting and all that. The, at, at some point, I had a pretty beefy demo. And when I went to speak to the people at, uh, it, was a, it was a company uh, here in Montreal that was opening up for a television show. Um, and the guys from Reboot were already there. Uh, they'd been brought in, including some people from uh, DreamWorks and PDI and what is now, uh, I, think it's, I think it's DreamWorks now. Uh, so yeah, so all these guys were there and they saw the demo and they said, you know what, we've looked at a lot of demos from people that went to school and we like what we see here. And the fact that you're self-taught is actually a bonus. Uh, and so they were, it was good enough for them to give me an opportunity. And I'll always be very grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, from there, you, you're credited with stuff like, uh, you know, Disney movie tie-ins and uh, Hannah Montana, Cinderella, uh, all, all those kind of intellectual properties, which is good work to be in if you're, yeah. if you're in games and at the right studio. So, I mean, how'd that go? Yeah, the early days was all, uh, it was kids games for the most part. That's how I started. And it was small studios. So basically the way it would work back then was you'd get into these small studios and then the, the big studios would come in and say, okay, we're going to, you're going to be the studio that makes this game like a version of that one of their franchises uh, on, on one of the consoles, they would, would just put the name of the studio in the credits, not so much your name. Uh, but if you, if you looked, uh, you know, hard enough, you could find our names. Uh, in fact, with Disney, it was, they were always hiding our names. Uh, <laughs> but if you, if you did a little detective work, you could find everything very clearly. Uh, LucasArts was also very good. Uh, like for when I was doing uh, Thrillville and stuff like that. So, yeah, so the early days were, were a lot of these little games, <laughs> we'd do them at the same time. We'd have like three games going on at the same time. You learn to be efficient when you're doing that kind of stuff. I did a lot of a lot of hard work during the, the, those years. I was doing a lot of all-nighters. It was rough. When we started getting good reviews for some of the games that we were making, it felt good. And uh, there was a camaraderie that happened also along the way with a lot of amazing people, uh, which I trust today infinitely. You can probably also shed some light on this for me because I come from more the the coding and programming side. And so my, my stuff is all technical in nature and it's uh, an awesome bonus when I get to do anything relatively like creative, you're kind of coming at that from the other side. I mean, was it a hard transition to learn to, uh, you know, have that kind of efficiency in a, a studio environment when you did like t- certainly technical, but also very creative work? Yeah. In my case, it, uh, it started with uh, always needs that would pop up in the, in a production. So all of a sudden there would, there would be like this need for uh, a rig and no one knew how to do the rig. So I'd be like, I'll give it a shot. And then I'd learn stuff. And then I started liking that kind of thing. So every time there was like, like, especially in uh, the early days with, uh, with TV, there was a lot of crazy shots and I was actually looking forward to those crazy shots because it, it it was, it was just like a puzzle that you had to figure out because I I did some coding in the past like I, I did up to calculus two and that, that kind of stuff. And then I still have my linear algebra at my, at my, my disposal. So uh, some, like some of that stuff from the, 
the early days when I was in pure and applied science, and then even some of the commerce stuff, like uh, you know, statistics, probability, and statistics, that kind of came in handy for doing stuff like crowd simulations and things like that. You'd be surprised how the math you learn or the things you learn along the way can sometimes have a new life in another place. Um, so, like for example, when I was working on uh, like Thrillville, uh, that that little LucasArts game, we had like uh, it's it's like a merry-go-round, and you have like roller coasters. And I used calculus to calculate the, the tangent on, uh, on certain uh, rides for the, the, the little vehicles to, to follow along correctly. But then the next minute I'd be maybe modeling or skinning a character. You never, you never know what you're going to be doing in, in video games. It's whatever the needs are uh, at that moment. Yeah. And it's always kind of uh, frustrating when you get to that point where I think most of us at some point said, in a math class, like I'm never going to use this. And we have to go like, Oh, you were right. You know? Yeah. So it's pretty cool though. And it's a very good feeling to solve little tricky puzzles and, and situations like that. It's, it's very satisfying. And that's why I think it's so great that we are shifting in a direction where we go, Hey kids learn programming and here's how you can use it for games and different applications. Cause it, it shows up loads of places, you know? Yeah. I, I think that that mentality is also shifting. It's no longer, it's math or uh, it's science. It's now just a tool like any other uh, that it's like programming, I think, is is becoming more and more of a, just a fundamental tool that everybody's starting to get a hang of. Like in school, mm -hmm. it seems like that's now a, a, a fundamental thing, whereas before it was more of a specialist thing. So somebody who knew how to do code was someone who had gone into school specifically to, to do that. And there were lots of people who had never touched a line of code in their life. But uh, I was fortunate. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a nice philosophy. You know, everyone should have this basic tool set to apply to whatever else it is you want to do. And that doesn't bother me as somebody who went like, I want coding and programming to be my main thing. But I, I think it's great that we're going like, if you're going to run a restaurant, here's how you can use it. And if you're going to go into marketing, here's how you can use it. I think that's great. Yeah, uh, actually, even in accounting, I was using it. Uh, all the Excel sheets with the VB scripts and all that stuff. I was definitely using it there. And even uh, the early days uh, when I started, uh, I was using uh, math for uh, stuff like, um, for example, we used to use Softimage. It's a, that's like a really old software. Like the, that's what Jurassic Park w uh, was built with. <laughs> and so the, the software was, back in the day, the hardware and the software were connected. So if you wanted to do modeling, you had to spend like $150,000 on this one machine that had the software. And that's all that that hardware would do. And then little by little, it became like these independent machines. And uh, at some point, we couldn't afford even particle systems, for example, because that was a separate thing. It wasn't part of the software. So by doing a little bit of coding, my, my own form of coding or expressions, and, and yeah, this is my cat. Uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no one can see that on the podcast, but yeah. Uh, is, is that the celebrity uh, star of your upcoming game? Uh, he will have a role, yes. Uh, right now, the, the main character is our other cat, uh, Domino. Um, Got it. Uh, I just got her paw uh, put in as the cursor uh, just yesterday. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I saw a tweet about trying to get the texture with with her actual paw, and I thought, yeah. God help you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's working. Uh, I got it up and running uh, uh, as of uh, yesterday. Yeah, I was telling your wife, I guess I should make the connection that uh, you you are married to Michelle, who we had on the, on the podcast yeah. uh, previously. So if anybody hadn't made that connection yet, but... Cats came up, of course, during that chat also, and and I said I I grew up with cats, and I don't I don't know that I could get a cat to cooperate with anything I've ever done. So, 
yeah. you guys have a better bond than I seem to with my cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, like, I can't do anything without uh, this cat uh, getting involved in some way. It's like uh, uh, I, I can't even go to the bathroom without him uh, being at the door. So he's, he's like it's like uh, Velcro. So especially for a podcast like this. Um, it's like, uh, good luck uh, getting him to not make some noise or, or be around, but it's yeah. part of the and, joy. And now I'm a parent, so it's a whole different, <laughs> a different, but similar set of problems. But <laughs> so this is cool. You get to work in uh, TV and film. You got to do kids games <laughs> right up through. You are also credited in the mass effect series, which is extremely yeah. cool. Was that just like one more project or was that a, a very different thing you got to do? Or was it just, you know, business as usual? Uh, I think it was business as usual because at, at that point I, I'd been going, like I'd been doing a lot of kids games for a while. And then at some point I started doing AAA. So the first one was, uh, like need for speed and stuff like that. And then dead space. Right. And I got, I got, uh, I was very fortunate, uh, to, to work on some very well-known titles, uh, even thief, uh, despite all the, all the issues that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when I got to work, uh, when I, when I joined Bioware, it was, a uh, it was an interesting era. It was right before the doctors had, uh, you know, were, were were leaving and all that. So it was a, really a like the a, a golden era, let's say, of, of Bioware. Um, and I got to see the production for Mass Effect Three uh, all the way uh, to to ship, and we were there for uh, for the uh, expansions and all that stuff. Which it was actually a lot of time because the 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 DLCs uh, were quite sizable. Uh, one of them took like eight or nine months to do, actually. Did you know that the top 10 mobile games in the U.S. grossed more than $340 million last month? If you want to earn more with your games, AppFigures has the tools you need to get more downloads and revenue. You may know AppFigures for analytics and app store optimization, but now they can help you track competitors and the game market. We're talking downloads, how much money they're making, the audience demographics, and even which tools they use to power their games. Their competitor intelligence gives great context. If you have an idea for an app or a game, AppFigures can tell you how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news, AppFigures can tell you if that brought in more downloads and that is just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your game or building a new one, AppFigures can help you reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a big budget or a data science degree. AppFigures has made this affordable and simple. They have guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash game dev breakdown to try AppFigures for free. And if you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Big thanks to AppFigures for sponsoring the show. Before I, I sort of move on to uh, going going indie, I guess, as it were, mm-hmm. Just because we've never had a chance to on the podcast, we've never really talked about the role of technical artists. And I know you're sort of a general purpose problem solver in art and technical art, but I was wondering if you could sort of help anybody who isn't familiar with that term, sort of like what all falls into the boundaries of technical art uh, compared to the sort of peripheral uh, roles. <laughs> Just a, sorry about that. That's okay. Cat, cat aggro again. Yeah. So tech art. Uh, I've met tech artists that come from uh, quite a few different uh, careers. Uh, I met a I met a tech artist that was a uh, originally a uh, an architect. I've met one 
that never touched a line of code in their life. I've, I've met all kinds of technical artists and they're, they're all kinds of them. And, and that's actually one of the things that can be really nice because if you, like I've been in a position where I was like tech art lead type of thing on multiple projects. And it, it's kind of a fun thing to do where you're trying to create a, a team of tech artists that can cover a lot of ground. So you're trying to take all these complementary abilities from different people and put it together. But you, you, the, the skills in a tech artist group can be very varied. I've had one guy that was straight up just a programmer and he was just interested in, in a variety of things related to, to art uh, in, in video games in particular. And, it, you know, he, he really did well and he was amazing. But then I had another guy who, who could build a rig like no, nobody's business or could build a tool for, for level designers to uh, streamline their pipeline. So tech art is a wide field. Uh, to give you an idea, um, I'd say about 95% of the prototype that we just put together uh, is, is basically just me putting it together. So that, that's kind of the, the range a tech artist can have. Uh, in, in a way, I'm, I'm giving an example uh, because I've had to do the modeling, the rigging, the animation, the everything, uh, the, the effects and even the compiling and, and distributing it on, on, on Steam and all that stuff. So that doesn't come. It's not stuff that I had to learn now. I didn't have to learn it uh, recently. These are things that I gradually learned along the way as a tech artist over the years. So, yeah, a tech artist is a bit of a, a jack of all trades type of thing hmm. who who is just curious about it, all, all procedures, um, like all, every aspect, every job there's, 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 there's enjoyment to be had in tech art. Uh, it's, it's every day is different. The challenges, sometimes there are challenges that you've never seen before. It's wonderful. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it's not just tech art, tech anim, uh, sometimes gets lumped in there, but it is its own beast. And that's kind of, it's a similar thing. That's that's why it's a little bit hard to follow maybe from the outside, but it, it totally makes sense that, you know, just sort of as you move beyond strict drawing, painting, that kind of stuff and uh, start to fill in to uh, more uh, tackle more problems, that makes sense. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, it, it probably looks different everywhere. Also, if we could pick somebody in history that would represent a tech artist, I would say it's Da Vinci. Uh, nice. Like Da Vinci, like if you think about it, is he an artist or is he an inventor? or a scientist, like he's a bit of everything. He doesn't create these little, little, little niches and say, okay, I'm this. No, he was just curious and had all these great ideas. And he was, he was creating wonderful uh, uh, murals and all kinds of interesting paintings. So he was, he was all over the place. So he represents tech artists and tech animators everywhere. I love that. I love that uh, example. I think that's a great explanation. What specifically sort of made you decide Time to try indie development or, you know, how, how was the progression to sort of moving on from AAA? Yeah, that one's, uh, that one's a tough one to explain. But a lot of people look at the AAA industry and they think, uh, oh, wow, that game. I love that game. And it's, I'd love to work on that game. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that kind of thing where I said, oh, I was a big fan of the original Baldur's Gate games. So to actually meet some of the people who actually worked on it when I was at Bioware was a, tr was, was a treat. I think yeah. one of my happiest moments in my life was when I went to, um, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, when I arrived at the door of the person who had invited us, I, I, I looked at, uh, at his wife and I was like, it's as if I know her, where do I know her from? And it was actually one of the portraits of one of the characters from Baldur's <laughs> Gate. He had used his wife as a reference. <laughs> wow. It's like, it, it, was, it was some pretty trippy stuff. I, I was very lucky to, to meet my heroes, but to, to make the transition 
uh, from my end, it happened kind of naturally because at some point you realize that in AAA, there's, there are certain personalities and uh, it can be tough sometimes. And uh, there's a lot of burnout in our, in our industry. From my case, it's that kind of uh, craziness. There's a, there's a certain limit that you can, that you can take. Or, uh, I, I think you want to do something that could leave a mark also from your end. So by going indie, I, uh, whatever work I do isn't being absorbed by someone else, you know, type of thing. And it's not because I'm, I'm vain and I, I want to have my name in the spotlight. No, it's, it's that it, it is a little bit frustrating because sometimes you, you could be, you know, working with super talented people. Like I, at Bioware, we had some, what the craziest team you've ever heard of. And most people don't even know that that team was there. Like, for example, without going too much into detail because of the whole Andromeda thing, I, I left uh, before pre-prod was was done uh but we had uh we had the basically the art director for uh for god of war working with us a very well-known guy uh, he's 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 a wonderful artist and he was there with us and we also had the animation director for uh, uh at naughty dog that was later became you know like we had tons of people who later became you know really had some very interesting roles later down the road and it was it was uh, first class talent from around the world. I don't I don't think some of them got much of a like they they left early <laughs> is the best way I can describe it. And it's it's difficult to talk about this because it, I don't want to anybody that's listening to it. I don't want them to get scared about AAA and seeing that uh, you know there's this guy that's saying he he worked with some of the best people out there and and it was enough uh, like the experience was enough for him to leave type of thing. Yeah. I don't want to give that impression either, but there is a moment where you go, I would like to work on my own thing. And if it fails or if it, if it does well, that's, that's on me. And I'd like to give that a try. I've done the, the AAA thing. And if I ever go back, it'll be because of somebody said, Hey, come and come and join us. Or if maybe, you know, the thing that I was working on didn't work out, you know, there's always, there's always financial things that could happen. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of things could happen. So at the end of the day, I'm 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 trying to move on from AAA because of uh, of those kind of scenarios. Um, and also, there's there's been some of the the later places that I worked at were quite frankly toxic, uh, and that I was getting tired of not being able to control those environments. So, for example, one of the last places I worked at, there was a Me Too scenario. Mm. So, and and it was uh, that person deserved the, the Me Too thing. It was. It was really bad. Uh, so I can't control that when I'm working for a company yeah. uh, at the end of the day. But if I'm starting my own indie, indie company, I can, I can form it the way I think it should be formed. And it could, it could hold the, like, the ideals that I hope what other companies would do too. So anyways, that's, that's basically the, 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 the gist of why I, I decided to go indie. I'm trying to, to go indie as much as possible to be able to control those factors. Yeah, and obviously I'm sorry to hear uh, some of the later stuff that happened, but like you say, you know, you, you train with, with all-stars and you, you, you get to do these incredible projects for other people, assemble this tool set, and it seems like there's a natural point where you go, what can I give with this now? And I, I feel like that's where I would end up too, I would say, you know, now yeah. that I've, you know, leveled up and leveled up and leveled up, now what am I capable of and how could I do it my way? So, I mean, that part makes a lot of sense to me, you know? Yeah, actually, uh, that was the plan early on. Like uh, when I was 19, before I even started with the guys from Reboot, um, I had made a six minute uh, pilot proposal for a TV show. And 
back then I had it, you know, on cassette and I sent it to every place I could. We didn't even have internet back then. So I couldn't find like their addresses that easily. So I sent it to wherever I could. And I remember that only one person or one company had actually responded to me uh, and it was a, it was negative, but, uh, and, I, and at that point in time, I was like, okay, I need to level up, like you said. So then I, I decided, all right, I'm going to go work now in, in uh, this industry in some way or another. And I'm going to try to see what skills I can improve and also learn about this business. Unfortunately, it took me 20 years to get to that stage, yeah. but uh, it was a good journey as well. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing either. Yeah. And I'm, I'm as happy for young people and new people to creative industries as I am disgusted that we grew up, like you said, pre-internet, we were getting started just as commercial internet was getting rolled out. And the first portfolio I tried to send out to studios, I mean, there we didn't have YouTube. I couldn't just upload a video that would be hosted for me so I could send them a link and go, here, I made this thing. Random photo and video formats. You didn't know if they were going to be able to see it on the other end or if the email was going to get there in the first place. And now it's like, we're having pitch week. <laughs> and if you have a great idea, it doesn't matter. Just come talk to us. I love that. And I also hate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit frustrating, right? It's like, <laughs> why well, can we have that back then? The, the only thing I, I, could, I would say is if anybody is listening uh, who just came out of school and started their own business, like if, if you're at a point where you're, you're deciding, I, I would strongly suggest trying to work for a company first a little bit. To, to get a good understanding of how, not necessarily how the business works, but at least like your skills, make sure that like as good as you can be, you can always benefit from speaking to somebody else who's been doing it for longer than you. And there's, there's, there's value in that and that can help you in the long run. But at the same time, if you have, if you have the guts to do it and make your own business straight out of school, that's, that's wonderful. But uh, that, that would probably be a harder road. Uh, I think in the long run, it's, it's like being an outdoor cat and you might be awesome and you're a great hunter and you got many great qualities, but learning to be an indoor cat and play with others is, <laughs> is a yeah. whole different thing, whole different skill set. And, uh, I, I agree. I think any sort of experience you can get before you strike out, that makes sense to me. I, I typically tell people, you know, go indie and prove what you can do as a means of like building up a portfolio. If you want to jump into that industry, don't necessarily make a 10 year plan for it. Uh, it's, it's a thing where if you do not find that you have any opportunities or any chances to sort of prove yourself, well, then at least we live in a world where you can just do it yourself. Of course, that doesn't always pay the bills <laughs> as, yeah. as you know, but, um, it's a lot more opportunity than ever existed before. And that I am strictly grateful for it. Like, that's great. Yeah, one of the other benefits that I have also is from from spending 20 years in the industry is that now I have I've seen different companies of different sizes and different uh, let's say uh, different cataclysmic events that could almost destroy a company type of thing, and I've learned from those, and those are those are also valuable. Uh, and basically, that got paid by the company who hired me. You know, they paid for that, and instead of you paying for it directly and learning how to deal with those scenarios. You, you let the company that, that you're working for uh, basically pay for. There's another way of looking at it too. Yeah. So these are experiences that are, are valuable on a number of levels. It's on the job training. You're navigating, you know, professional events. These things happen that, you know, while I haven't worked in the proper industry, I've gotten to do indie stuff. I've gotten to be a professional software developer and I got to do that over a decade. And just like you say, you're, you're on the clock and you're getting paid 
regardless of what's happening between eight and five or, you know, whenever you end up working for the day, it's worth getting something for that trouble because, you know, no career goes unscathed. You know, you're going to, you're going to go through some, you know, very simple stuff, buyouts and, uh, you know, restructurings and layoffs and stuff. But yeah, it's, you need to come away with something for what you will experience out there in, in the, uh, just in the world, you know? Yeah. It makes sense. Also, also there's people I've met along the way who like, if, if like we can get this off the ground, I'm going to start seeing if I can bring them in. These are people I trust. Right. And I know what their skill sets are. It's not, it's not like a gamble where I, I just looked at someone's CV and went, okay, let's hope they can, they can be, you know, be the person I need them to be for my, for this job that I have. It's, this is, you know, like every, every, when you're starting in indie, I think every dollar counts and you want to make sure that money's going to, to someone that you can trust. Uh, so in the case uh, of what, like in my case right now, I'm, I'm looking at hopefully being able to, uh, to have enough money to start bringing in some of those, those colleagues. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah. And let's get into that. So, I mean, how old is the indie studio now? Uh, it's going to be almost a year that I started this. So, so it hasn't been around for long. Yeah, It's all pretty brand new, sort of maybe a little bit of a pandemic baby? Sort of, yeah. It, it happened during the pandemic, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but it was, I was already working on it before the pandemic in the sense of preparing for it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everybody's sick of hearing me say it, but I love hearing from Canadian developers because it seems like you guys have more, it, it's not, nothing's perfect, but you have more opportunities to uh, sort of pitch for different funding and different things like that. And it just seems like a nice place. If you're in the right part of Canada, it seems like you're under a government that gets it at least. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the size of the company also. Uh, like for example, here in, in, in Montreal in specific, uh, there's, there's a, a good place for companies like Ubisoft, for example, is mega corporation that gets subsidies per person. 
So mm. uh, let's say 40% of their salary is covered by the government type of thing. That's a huge amount of money that, that a company gets to save. Right. Yeah. And that's just by opening up here. Uh, a small indie studio is not going to see really that money necessarily uh, and get the benefits that, that come from that. However, we, we will see other things like, let's say the, the CMF, uh, that's the Canadian Media Fund, for example, it's there to, to but it, it's not the same. It, like the Canadian Media Fund and the subsidies from, let's say, the Quebec government are two completely different things, even though they're coming from the government. But uh, the, the, the CMF, for example, I've had a little, it's, it's a long story, but I I've been having some trouble getting funding from them, uh, some help, uh, anyways. And, uh, it seems like it fits a very thin sliver of a, a business model for it to work. So it's like, you have to be a specific at a specific point in time in your business to be able to really benefit from it. Um, but there's, there's less than, uh, people, uh, think there is, I, I think, because I've been looking for, for funding and there hasn't been really much coming from the government really all that much. I'm right in assuming this is the first big project. I mean, yeah, yeah this is the the biggest thing for, for the company that I, the, the, for recombobular games, uh, up until now. Yeah. I got to play through a prototype of the game, which is awesome. And I, I loved it. I, I knew I was going to be excited about this game when I first saw screenshots, uh, copy you guys had written about it. And now having gotten to play a couple of scenes, I, I, <laughs> I called it basically. I, I would strongly recommend people sort of check out space boat. This being where it is, how do you see yourself getting the funding and how do you hope to fund it? I know you plan to go sort of episodic with it. Is that part of that strategy or? Oh, first, thanks for, for all that. That's, that's really oh, sure. kind. I'm super happy to hear that you enjoyed your, your experience for the prototype. Um, but yeah, the prototype um, in, is basically a way of showing, hey, we can make a game. We have the experience to be able to, uh, to, to create a, a video game experience from A to Z. And even the frame rate should have been okay. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I think your frame that. rate was fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on an average computer, it was running at sixty last I checked. So we're aiming for even having it on on Switch. One of the benefits of having somebody that that was always part of the uh, performance uh, and checking uh, type of thing. So that that kind of came in came in handy for this. Uh, the the setup is episodic because it allows us to kind of create a budget and say, okay, we've we can use this amount of money to create this amount of time as a, an experience. And that way people don't have to make a, a big investment. Like let's say we made a $60 game. If it was a $60 game, it's, it's an investment uh, that with somebody you don't, you've never heard of before. But mm -hmm. if you're, if you're paying for a $20 game, you're taking a chance, you're getting to know them. And if you like it, then great. Then you're there for the next episode and it's all good. And at, at the same time, you're, you're growing, you know, um, a, a, the trust with the community of what you're building. So little by little with each episode, it should be increasing in, in, uh, in size as far as content goes and as far as, you know, the number of people are buying. So it, it allows for easier growth to have it in smaller chunks. So that was definitely a, a, one of the choices that uh, we made early on. It yeah. makes it makes good sense. And is uh, is the prototype just generally available, or is that kind of like by invite only right now? Right now, it's uh, the prototype uh, is a it still has a, a couple of rough uh, edges. Like uh, like for example, exiting is you just press escape. That's not oh. that's not going to fly right. But uh, so there's little things like that, or like the Xbox controller uh, being uh, the like the best way to play it right now. Uh, although that's going to change in soon enough, and you can use a mouse and keyboard with prompts and everything for your. To, it'll auto detect what you're what you're using 
and you can even switch in the middle of uh, what you're doing to another controller and no problem. Uh, but the idea is all of these things are, it's much more than just nice to have. It's a thing that you kind of have to have for, for like the general public because they're going to expect it. And if I give, gave them something like that has like escape for exit, that's not going to, they're not going to look at the game very uh, favorably possibly. Mm-hmm. But from your experience, you were, you know, you saw that it was a prototype. So you kind of forgot about those things. But uh, when the Kickstarter campaign uh, you know, starts, I'll be making a version that has those things out of the way. And that way they can have the, the experience that you had with a couple of things that they're expecting uh, for the, uh, for the, at this point, it'll be more of a vertical slice, mm-hmm. although we'll call it a demo at that point. Uh, so it's easier for, to, for people to understand what it is. It's like an early demo. People will be able to actually jump in, uh, have a, an expectation of some level of quality, and hopefully we'll be able to match that and they'll be able to enjoy all the stuff that we put in there. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's an increasingly demanding public and that's, uh, I mean, part of that comes from a good place. It's because we've just sort of generally pushed the the standards of uh, what you can expect forward. I mean, we, we have certain things that, like you said, good good input recognition and uh you know the best level of that is that automatic switching where if you started with keyboard but you plugged the controller in and it picks that up i'm impressed every time and i'm i'm bummed out when i don't see it you know so that makes good sense and uh, i think people will be happy to see those things because this is kind of good and bad because you've set a very high bar in terms of like visual quality here it's you know it's very well modeled and animated it looks really cool and so yeah i guess you're gonna have to maintain that quality you know (laughs) that integrity has to stay consistent throughout this whole development the coding the events and everything and uh it's quite a bar you've set for yourself right well it's i I think it's all of these things from the get-go um i was trying to build everything so that i would avoid any issues with like certain types of bugs and so on with the experience from the 20 years that I've, I've been in the industry and knowing that you don't just build it so that it looks good and that's it. It's, it's going, that's like a dead end right away. You're going to be in so much trouble fixing it later. <laughs> so I've been building it little by little in a way that it should, it should, I should be able to keep a certain level of quality and maintain that quality going forward. As long as I, I, I maintain that kind of philosophy, I think I'll be okay. Uh, so for the modeling that could be anywhere. Like sometimes it'll be, uh, I've cheated a little bit with the modeling. So uh, like in the sense that I didn't make a, a like sometimes I'll I'll go in with a full ZBrush thing and bake, uh, uh, bake all my normal maps and then do a lot of uh, substance painting and all that stuff. And then uh, in some other models, I'd be just like, uh, I'll just model this a little bit like this, a little like that. Eh, it worked. This is a triangle, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as long as it, it doesn't like uh, uh, stick out like a sore thumb, as long as it doesn't do that, I'm, I'm okay to put it in there because it's, it's it's like a placeholder plus, so it's okay. But yeah. the thing about placeholder plus is that it's functional. You got you've got stuff that's working already, and then you move on to something else, and you try to put your energy towards the thing that will give you the the best quality improvement. I I think you've got an excellent sense of where to sort of wow people. I mean, for God's sake, there's already a theme song with lyrics and everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that I've seen. And that's Michelle singing. <laughs> Is it? I was I was wondering yeah. who that was. I mean, great work. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh shout out to uh, uh Sam Shanley. He was uh he was on our Twitter and uh I checked out uh, his portfolio and uh I saw that you know, he he had talent and I was like, "Okay, let's try a commission uh some music for him." 
uh, and he was great. And we were able to do a theme song uh, with him and Michelle. And um, I was happy. To, uh, like I've got plans for that song. Right now, it's it's just there at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the game uh, while it waits for you to press the the button to start. But it's uh, it'll be used for more things because it's mm-hmm. it sets the theme for the game and it sets the mood. So if you if you listen to the lyrics, you'll realize that there's it's it's the satirical comedy type of thing that's going on in there already. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's well done on its own, but it's so perfect. It sets the tone just just perfectly for the whole thing. And it it took me back because uh, I hate to admit this, like my wife and I have been uh, touristy enough to go on a couple of cruises at this point. And if no shame in that (laughs) people who have done that in their lives uh, know that it's extremely fun. It's a really cool experience. And also you you kind of like low level hate yourself the whole time. <laughs> like, like I, I can't believe I'm this person who's doing this right now. And some of it is just how gaudy and silly everything around you is. And they, they lean into it. It's very funny. And so, you know, and then you've got things like love boat on, on, you know, the old school TV uh, yeah. reruns and everything. And, and just that vibe is so funny and just so perfectly appropriate for, uh, for this game. And this game kind of leans into that too. And I love that. I think that's very cool. Thanks. It, it took some doing to to hit that vibe, and I'm glad it's coming through. To uh, combine it with, you know, future, with sci-fi in general, yeah. that had to come with certain creative challenges, right? Yeah, it did. Uh, but you also have to consider, like, one of the funny things about this, uh, this let's say, franchise, or hopefully a franchise someday, but uh, I came up with this, basically, I started this universe when I was 11. I was drawing <laughs> comic books, so then... Um, I had my first 30 page comic book done at 11 and by 19 uh, I'd created a number of things connected to this universe. So going back to this is kind of like a a life's work for me. Uh, So it's not something that happened overnight. I've been, I've been working on this, this whole, uh, this, this whole universe uh, for quite a while. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure uh, uh, that, that remained was, that that kind of perspective from that time so when that's why like you know the term retrofuturistic comes comes to mind because what you know retrofuturistic is kind of like what did people in the past think that the future would look like yeah. is the best yeah. way to describe it right mm-hmm. so in a way i have to think of what did what did i think the future was going to be when i was like 11 to 19 because those were the years where I created like this, this universe. So I'm trying to stay faithful to that style. And as a result, that's how this, this game uh, got that kind of uh, theme or at least that, that setting is because it's, it's designed around what I was doing back then. And I I feel like it really does maintain that, you know, childlike wonder is a a silly phrase to use, but it it does kind of maintain that perspective of like, anything's possible here, you know, in, in a yeah. fun way in the character design, which is very funny and, and sort of the, the Muppety influence, which uh, Michelle even mentioned during our, our last chat. She, she said that you guys had looked at that as, as sort of an influence. And I think that comes through in the, the musical nature of it. I, uh, I hope you lean into that too, because it's all very entertaining and pretty unique in, uh, in recent offerings and games at this quality level. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. Oh, well, if, if all goes well, uh, I, 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 well, we might even have a little musical uh, moment. Like we, we might have a, a little thing where everybody starts singing, which is rare in games. Like I, I can only think of one game, which is a Bard's Tale, where you actually have that. Oh yeah, and that's true. 
Yeah, they had a little musical, but other games, I've been, I haven't seen it in any other game. And even in TV and movies these days, you don't really have that much going on for musicals. It's so it'd be nice to that would that would be perfect for our universe. And we're hopefully we'll be able to actually pull that off. I feel like it's all on Seth MacFarlane's shoulders because family yeah. Family Guy still does it constantly. But <laughs> you're, yeah, right. True. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you, you don't see as much of that. And it does really add something. It's just so difficult to do. It's like, how do you get all the right technical people involved in a game, the artists, the animators and everything. And then who wants to write some lyrics, you know, and, and put together, you know, recordings or uh, commission music and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an investment. <laughs> right. And, and emotionally, just as much as uh, financially, it's gotta be uh, a whole process. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's why we're, we're being very careful with that. So, so far we have a theme song, but a little bit later, I hope we can have our, our, our little musical, which will uh, will set uh, set a different, uh, a, a slightly different feel for the universe. Yeah, and you guys do have a fantastically funny website uh, going, and I, I haven't checked it lately, but I checked it before the the last episode. I always point like my previous episodes are sitting behind me. I don't know why I do that. That's <laughs> yeah. something you're saying, and the listeners aren't. But yeah, during during the last chat. I had looked at the website and not only were there funny, you know, funny haha jokes, but uh, it was cool. I think that's where I saw some of the uh, like sketches and stuff you had done gearing up for, you know, way back when, when you were thinking about creating this universe and everything and your, your sort of comic sketch days. I thought that was so cool to see because clearly this has been with you forever and developing in your mind over time. Like where else do you get a project like that? Where it's like, well, I've been casually thinking about this project for 20, 25 years, whatever it is. <laughs> so you've, you've sort of got an incredible amount of uh, thought energy invested into this. It would be cool to kind of see this sort of project scale out into like not only other games, but I hope you guys do comics and everything else you can think of. Well, I, ho I hope you're right. Cause there's <laughs> actually a lot of material to work with. Um, some of it is just, might be just a few sketches here and there for an idea, but it all fits within that universe. Um, I, I call it an omniverse because it's it's not the right term, but it's a, it's a universe where you can have everything that you know comes together, and it's okay. Like you could have, you could probably have an anime character in there, and it's it's, it's fine. It fits. <laughs> so the, it's there's all these different things that are from different stages of my life uh, that were influenced uh, for by different things, and they all got kind of merged together. And there's it, quite frankly, there's a lot of material to pull from for this stuff. It's just a question of uh, time and if we actually can pull off one of those ideas right. So right now I'm just trying to bring to life one of those sections of that, that universe in hopes that people can enjoy it. And then I can bring back, I can bring in all the other stuff uh, little by little. And uh, yeah, there's, it's like, when I think about it, it's, it, it's weird because it's my whole life, right? Like uh, my, my entire life's been little bits and pieces being thrown in here. So, yeah. and, and to be honest, it, uh, there's another strange aspect of it, which is kind of like the personality. It's like throughout my entire career, uh, I've been keeping this side kind of like like hidden away or mm -hmm. or just not in the forefront. So there's a lot of people that don't even know I've ever done that. And I've worked with them with, for years. Right. So for some of them, this will be a bit of a surprise that I've been doing all this since I was a kid. So it's it's almost like another personality is finally emerging from from some some weird slumber. So it's, and on a personal level, it's, it's actually very, uh, 
uh, it's it's a weird thing where all like this other personality is coming back, but at the same time, I have my personality from from uh, working at all these places. And in a way, I'm taking all of these experiences that I've had at these AAA studios in particular, and I'm putting it into the game um, because like even the bad guy uh, is uh, is basically the CEO that wants all the money in the galaxy. Yeah, and they'll stop at nothing to. Like they're they're there from the very the, the moment you step foot on this in this universe, their 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 effect will will be felt by the player. So you probably already saw that you know there's these uh, these little anecdotes that can that have parallels to to real life, but they're never really direct references. They're not parodies. They're more satirical in nature. So yeah. like for example, Dale is a is an easy one, right? He's like a he's a whale that has a premium pass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like stuff like that, uh, that, that the universe is composed of basically bits and pieces of, of things that I've witnessed along the way. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sports books. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The, the game is rich with commentary. <laughs> is maybe the best way to put it without spoiling any of the the very funny things that uh I I think it's I think it's done just right because it's usually clear what's being discussed without you know with, without making it dark or you know upsetting or discouraging or anything it's just like having some fun with um you know things in the real world that are are less than fun about the stuff yeah. that we like so it's sort of a fun way to sort of take a couple of swings at, at those things so I'm looking forward to seeing more of that aspect of it too yeah I'm yeah, I, I just hope that no one plays this and thinks it's a criticism per se. It's a satirical view on things. So it's always lighthearted. It's always never really a, a full out criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, for example, one of them that's uh, like pre-order Earl. He, he has <laughs> lots of regrets of pre-ordering stuff. He, never, you know, he doesn't get much out of the pre-orders anyways. Uh, but uh, so hopefully people will see that uh, a little bit in themselves when they pre-order stuff. They'll say, oh, yeah, that's kind of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved that character specifically for a couple of reasons, which I won't, I won't ruin, but I, I loved the first interaction with him before he sort of run away and do something else. And just as sort of an afterthought, he goes, I got to stop pre-ordering things <laughs> <laughs> it, that, that stopped me in my tracks. I laughed at that other than the career influence that this clearly has when you're, when you're sort of relaxing and you're just sort of getting your mind off things, what are, what are the kind of things that inspire you these days? Uh, these days, actually, uh, I've been trying more indie games as much as I can because I've seen a, a big upswing in in quality, especially in, in indie games. And uh, the creativity is definitely there. So there's been a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, but I've also been catching up with some uh, some of the other games that uh, more mainstream. Like, for example, I just I was very fortunate enough to, to find a good discord that could help me get a PS5. 
So I was able oh, to play Demon Souls. Yeah, I was very fortunate. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, Congrats. Look at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I didn't have anything just recently. I mean, with a flood, it destroyed everything I owned. So I didn't oh, have right. any, I heard, anything, yeah. right? So I was I was dying for a PS5 because I was like, I'm not buying another PS4. No. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, so I, I played Demon Souls with the, the... It's a remake, but it's it's beautiful. It works really well. The the gameplay is like I remember it, and it, it was it was uh, very faithful to the original. And, uh, and then at the same time, I might be playing uh, stuff stuff like um, Children of Morta, or uh, you know, there's there's like on the Switch, there's just so much stuff going on. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Animal Crossing recently. Um, I, I did spent too. a lot of time on it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, there's there's a lot of I'm I'm trying new things recently, uh, thanks to indie. So it's mm. it's been enjoyable. It's a whole new experience, frankly. That should have been the first thing out of my out of my mouth on this call was, are you guys doing okay after the flood? I heard about that. It sounded like a complete nightmare. It was. Uh, it was actually quite terrifying. Um, yeah. I even have footage of it where uh, at one moment I was just taking footage because I wanted to have a record of what was going on. And then I realized, no, my life is in danger. Uh, the water levels are about four and a half feet high on the other side of this door. You know, oh. you're just looking through the little window of the door and you're like, that that is a that is a small lake on the other side of this door yeah. and the water is coming down pretty strongly. Like it's coming through the door with a lot of force. And then you completely switch modes to survival mode. Um, and, and then there was the, there was a bit of a panic, but I, I managed to stay sane enough during that time and, and keep my brain together and uh, turn off the power and everything before I left. And I got my cat with all of his, with as many things as I could and uh and i got out of there um and then i i also thought it was over for uh uh for spaceboat because my uh, uh my computer was was hit hard by that amount of water and, and when it's happening you have no idea how high how high the water is going to go so at first i thought it's going to just flood the floor and i'll be okay but eventually i realized no 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 computer scrap there's like it got hit it got uh, it got swallowed and uh you know it's you know it's fortunate we were able to recover some of the data that was on it and also uh, there was there was st- still some things on the cloud but then there's all this other stuff that you don't think about much which is like you just lost everything like mm-hmm. there is not a single thing that that you can really say oh i've got that sofa and it's it's fine now i've got it covered no 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 it's gone you have to start over from scratch i just about everything so uh, so yeah i'm we're doing okay now I'm in a temporary place right now, but uh, the construction's uh, uh, like it's tough during COVID because they, they don't just they just don't have the materials to be able to uh, to build. So yeah, uh, yeah my, my little place is still without even walls in the inside. It's like bare bare walls. Uh, it was all destroyed. That is just man. Oh yeah, it was uh, brutal. <laughs> Hopefully, most people never experienced that, but it was just wild to sort of follow that story with you guys. So glad things are sort of coming back together. Um, on a lighter note, yeah. where, where are you guys at with development? When do you think Kickstarter will start? What's uh, anything you uh, see on the horizon? Well, um, for the next month and a little bit, uh, we, we plan on putting a, like clearing up some of the, some of the things that were like temporary for the prototype mm-hmm. uh, so that we can put it as a Kickstarter uh, gift type of thing. So people can, you know, uh, get to see the game a bit more. Uh, and I want to add a little cinematic with uh, a character, like our main character, more, more, uh, more fleshed out, more uh, like you get to know the, the the main character a little bit more. I felt like that was one of the things that were missing from the prototype. It's like you just thrown in right away, and you 
you're, you got to go do your mission type of thing. Um, so I wanted to add a little bit more flavor to that and, you know, slowly bring people in to get to know the, the main character a little bit. And then, uh, and then just package that up and make it so that it's part of Kickstarter in about a month, a month or so. And, uh, hopefully by then, uh, we will have found a, a publisher if, if it's possible that that fits, that's a good partner for us. And, uh, with a little luck that that'll happen. Um, I hope if not, well, we'll do the Kickstarter anyways. And maybe with that, uh, the publisher uh, uh, scenario might be easier. Yeah. I mean, I, I always tell people, yeah, hopefully the right publisher is around and, you know, the timing is right. And if not, probably bullet dodged. I don't, you know, it's, yeah, it could be. There's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with, with going that route, but there's also nothing wrong with, uh, working around it. So hopefully just the right thing happens, whatever that turns out to be for you guys. So, yeah. Um, let people yeah, know true. where they can uh, find everything online and sort of follow your work. Uh, well, you can go to uh, recombobulator.ca. Uh, that's the easiest one. Recombobulator is a big word, but it's easy to, to spell. So <laughs> easy enough. Uh, you shouldn't have any trouble there. Uh, and from there, there's uh, there's a contact page and there's uh, our Twitter and everything that goes uh, goes there. But if not, if you if you want to go the Twitter route, you can go. Uh, our name is uh, Recombobulator G for games. Uh, so Recombobulator G in caps, uh, and um, that that'll take us to a, a pretty active uh, Twitter page that uh, that Michelle runs. The the you know, and with just that alone, you should be able to keep tabs of what's going on. I think I think the Twitter page is probably one of the best places to go to, but the the web page is not bad. Yeah, very cool. So uh, and and check out the the humor on the website, which is uh, also very worthwhile. So uh, this one gets the full podcast stamp of approval because uh, I'm I'm really into this project. I think it's going to be very popular. So I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I look forward to checking back in with you guys and seeing where things are at soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, please subscribe on the platform of your choosing. Hit that follow button on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple. You get the idea. We have show notes at CodeRightPlay.com. We are all over social media, but especially on Twitter, where we are Game Dev Pod, CodeRightPlay, and me, MechaToddZilla, 1B, 2Ls. Get in touch. Love hearing from you guys about feedback, topics, questions, articles you saw. It doesn't matter. I hear from people about all kinds of stuff, and I enjoy it all. That's the reason we do it. For Game Dev Breakdown and Code Right Play, this is Todd Mitchell here saying hang in there, work hard, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.